opening jam is unmistakably the sweet, sweet sounds of Harry Hood, taking place June 16th, 2000 at the Zep Club in Osaka, Japan. And welcome everybody to episode 77 of the Daily Soundcheck. I'm your host, Mike Lon Memo Minio. It's been a wild ride recapping this incredible Japan run with my good friend Dave Calarco, also known as Mr. Minor, and we've just had a great time. And the last song that they play is Harry Hood on this incredible run, and I thought it was a cool way to open the show, get the emotion going, because let's face it, not many songs can really stir up the emotion like Harry Hood can, and that little section that we open with is absolutely gorgeous. We're certainly going to get to that in just a second. So make sure you are following me along on Twitter at Lawn Memo. That's the best way to get in touch with me. Run a lot of projects. I'm doing a fish project over there called Memo Sections, where I'm recommending my favorite fish jams and specifically my favorite parts of my favorite fish jams. You can search hashtag Memo Sections over on Twitter to find those, or certainly just shoot me a quick tweet or a message, and I will point you in the right direction to find those. The Daily Soundcheck is, of course, a proud partner of the Osiris Podcast Network, which you can find at osirispod.com. Also in partnership with our good friends over there at Jambase. Jambase Jambase.com keeps you up to date on everything in our incredible music scene. Osiris is doing some great stuff, really cool new podcasts. Oteil Burnbridge is doing a great little podcast with Mike Fenora now. Really cool guest Bob Weir was just on. So they're adding stuff, or we are adding stuff all the time. Keep your eye out and go to OsirisPod.com. And that's about all of that because we've got a lot to get to. Of course, if you've been following along, this is the fourth part of our four-part series in Japan with Dave Calarco, also known as Mr. Minor. And we have an awesome fish show, which is in set two has an absolute breathtaking 40-minute stretch. Great jams and an even better sound check. The sound check is at the end and it is funny and cool and funky and Dave and I both love it and you'll hear us talk about that but you know this is the last part so I do want to thank Dave for coming on the show you know he's such a wealth of information over the years he's done so much for the fish community and I thought he was a real valuable asset to have on and really brought a lot to the table there wasn't a lot of people that I know at these Japan shows to have Dave on and share his experiences it you know I, I certainly learned a lot I hope you did you know, those of you listening at home. One last thing that I just wanted to add on before we get into the interview is you're going to hear Dave and I talk about something called the Holy Trinity. Now, that's a term that I thought I had heard long ago, but Dave had never heard it. It could also be a term that I made up, and it refers to the three most blissful songs in Fish, Reba, Slave to the Traffic Light, and Harry Hood. And they're all featured in this show, which... We talked about a little bit, and we both like, man, I can't remember. Well, I did get to look that up with the help of uh, Zizix, who runs Fish Stats. It's only happened six times ever, so this show is certainly special when you get all three of those. So without further ado, this is Dave Calarco and my breakdown of June 16, 2000 at the Zep Club in Osaka, Japan. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome back for the fourth and final time the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Dave, Mr. Minor, Calarco. Welcome back, Dave. Glad to have you for the fourth time, man. Thank you. Very excited once again to be here, man. It's, uh, it's been very fun talking about these shows and really getting to reflect in a way on them that I hadn't in a really long time. So 
appreciate it, man. Thank you. So you rebroke the record. You were the highest number of shows at three, and now you're at four. Do you have anything to say to all the other people you've surpassed? <laughs> you got to step it up. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here with the last show on our Japan run, and this is June 16th, 2000 at Zep. And this is a pretty awesome show. We've got plenty to talk about here. So we'll start off with kind of what we've been doing, getting Dave's thoughts and memories of, you know, where he was that day. Again, you know, if you've been following the podcast that we've been doing consecutive days yet again. So you hit this. This is the last day, you know, your your last show in Japan. Was it like a full go? Where was your headspace going in the last day? It was a full go, man. I mean, we were in Japan seeing fish. This was like a, you know, once in a lifetime experience. And so there was no thought of it being any less than any of the other nights. It was, uh, it was another fish show and we were in Osaka. And so we went in with a full head of steam and no complacency whatsoever. No celebrating until it was over. Do you have memories of the venue? And uh, can you tell us any, paint the picture a little bit about that? Um, yeah, the, the venue was um, on the outskirts of town. Uh, if you remember last time we talked about Big Cat, which was really downtown uh, in the midst of like an urban bustling area of Osaka. Uh, this was on the outskirts of town. And it's interesting because Zep Tokyo was also on the outskirts of Tokyo. So I don't know what the deal is with the Zep company. Maybe they try to build their clubs out of the way or something, but it was distinctly outside of, you know, the main area where we were staying and where we were hanging out. And it was, uh, interestingly, very similar to the Zep club in Tokyo, which you'll hear during the sound check, which Trey weighs in on. But the difference was this place was carpeted, which was very interesting vibe. I remember that because, uh, dancing wise, there was no slippage. It was very, it was the, the whole dance floor was carpeted and the place was very undersold for some reason. If you remember, I mentioned that the big cat was packed to the gills and yet the next night, 20 minutes away, place was very undersold. We had mad amounts of room. That's really like the overwhelming memory I have of the show experience was really just like having festivals like festival like types of room in a dance club like we all had like very spacious and uh, i remember like a very very free for all vibe like i don't know it it's it almost felt like uh you know not a private show because there were tons of people there but it it just felt like a a different more relaxed and uh wide open vibe and what would you want for a last show on the run? More than that, a little dance space and yeah. a, a relaxed vibe. I mean, that's what it's all about. It was pretty cool. It, it worked out really well. I don't think that I've ever seen a fish show in a carpeted room. So that is very intriguing. Yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. Um, did you know? Did you notice the sound was any better? Uh, I I didn't. I don't remember. I mean, well, actually, hey, when we get great. to. Yeah, when we get to the sound check, actually, Trey comments about that. So <laughs> he does. Do yeah. That. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a factor. I'm not sure. I mean, I would think carpet holds the sound pretty good. I'm, that, yeah. that, that is interesting. Less bouncing. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely like one of those things that sticks in my mind when I think about the show is like dancing on carpet. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so do you remember where you were? Were you up front or any um, recollection that on that? Yeah, I believe this was like another 
one of those clubs that had a kind of like a multi-tiered dance floor with like, you know, basically like three different levels. They weren't very, you know, separate from each other, but they were like a couple steps that separated them. I think I was on the second level kind of right near the front of the uh, second tier of the dance floor from my memory. How how tired were you at this point? I mean, I have no memory of being tired, you know, okay. like, I don't know. Like we, we had the things we needed to keep us going. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't remember being tired. It was just like the whole experience was just so surreal and next level. It's like there it wasn't there wasn't that, you know, it's not like we were, you know, on our fifth or sixth nights in like Great Woods or something, you know, like <laughs> we were in Japan and it was all just like this dream. And so I don't know, man, I, I wasn't tired. I mean, may, maybe there was like a little bit of tiredness during the day or something, but, you know, it really was not a factor. Nice. It's shocking to me. I mean, I'm sitting here at my age and just thinking about doing all those shows in that many days and partying that hard. I'm I'm tired thinking about it. But, I mean, I was uh, also 20 years younger, you yeah. know, so I'm sure <laughs> no, that had something to do with it. No doubt, no doubt. So, uh, anything else that you, before we jump into the show? Um, no, man. Like that's pretty much what I remember from from you know set and setting wise. Um, yeah, my, as I mentioned, most of my memories really kind of center around the music and the experience of the show. So why don't we just get to it? Okay, so we're gonna. Dave and I are going to break down the show as we've done in the past with the last couple. And then uh, him and I are going to kind of recap the entire run and get his thoughts, you know, all these years later. So we'll jump into the show. And this one, uh, like some of the other ones in this Japan run, has a really, really strong opener. And it's limb by limb. And this limb by limb reaches out almost into the 15 minute mark. And it's a really great version, very tight. Um, Fishman has just really great feel throughout. He's laid back and I like it cause like, you know, limb by limb can be this rocker, but this has like that Japan feel to it that we've talked about, like laid back and, you know, dreamy. And I just love this opening track and the way to start off like this last show in Japan. I don't know your thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I think that's a really nice word that you use is got this dreamy vibe to it. At the same time, it's really energetic. Um, and so gave us a sense of where the band was going into this show. You know, like I'm sure on some level they were excited that this was the last show. But at the same time, they're in the midst of this like once in a lifetime thing for them, too. And so this kind of just came out and uh, it set a tone for the night, which was both, you know, energetic, adventurous and at the same time still had that like laid back vibe that so many of these Japan jams did. Yeah. And I love the non-traditional opener, especially when it comes with a little bit of jamming like this, like these are my favorite things to see live. Yeah. It definitely gives it a unique feel. So we're going to play a little clip of uh, the limb by limb jam here to start us out and get us, you know, as Dave said, get us a little bit of that feel. So here's a little bit, of Limb by Limb, which kicked off the show. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And then from there, we go into back on the train, sample in a jar, kind of back on the train's got that fun up vibe, sample in a jar, down a little bit, uh, or, you know, kind of poppy. And then first tube is pretty awesome in this slot, I think. I like it right here in the middle of the first set. Yeah, definitely random. It doesn't usually come out there, but um, yeah. it certainly, it certainly probably got the set uh back to an energetic point after a couple of more standard songs yeah and then we get the old traditional gogi apparatus and then heavy things which you and i talked about i believe in our first episode uh, this one i don't like as good as that one but it's still nice here and then kind of one of my like sleeper highlights of this show is a really gorgeous version of dirt that i really really enjoyed yeah, you know, you you texted me that the other day, and I was like, "Huh, like gorgeous version of Dirt." So I I played it, and it it really is. It's very again like very dreamy, like very slow, and like the band's like barely playing at points, and uh, it, it's it is a very unique um, take on the song. Yeah, it's one that I always love, and and you know, every once in a while when I'm doing research and re-listening stuff, I'll skip over stuff, but. You know, I'm glad that I, I went right through that and caught dirt because I it is a great little version. I wouldn't so, have said anything about it if you didn't bring it up. <laughs> and then from stuff. there, I appreciate it. Yeah. From there, we get a little left turn with my sweet one. And then comes uh, other than the limb by limb, the, the true highlight of the set, which is Reba. Mm -hmm. And this Reba, I mentioned I heard this term before once and I, I've heard it called the Holy Trinity. Uh, of fish and and that would be reba slave to the traffic light and harry hood the bliss three songs and uh i've heard that before i don't know or maybe i just made it up and i pretend <laughs> like i've heard it before so i there's not many shows that i can remember dave that have all three of those i would have to think about it i've never i'm i've never heard the term before you mentioned it when we talked about this show so it never really it wasn't anything i was ever paying attention to so i don't know I would have to think about it, but you're probably right. I mean, they don't usually even really play Slave and Hood in the same show. Right, you right. Know, it's not so. like a similar type of use in their in their repertoire. So yeah, I mean, don't, this is a unique uh, a unique night. Yeah, and for me, we talked about this in the last episode that, or in the uh, in the Fuko episode that I love moments in Fish, either in shows or in runs, when I have a time to take it all in and reflect and kind of think about everything that's happened before me. And we talked about that uh, with the Foucault show, especially And this is, you know, I've been on this ride with you, Dave, talking and going through all these shows mm -hmm. and it's the last night, of the, you know, the last run and, and they take Reba and that's like the first time for me where, you know, the jam in Reba is very special. You know, you lose kind of all sense of reality in Reba and especially in this version that I know you you love. So tell me what you, you love about this, Reba. You know, when I think about it, I really just have like these amazing memories of the experience of this jam. As I mentioned, there was like a ton of room and obviously Reba is a song that like you can really go big on. And um, it's it's really a patient version. Uh, Trey's just like sitting back and playing like really relaxed leads and it's just it just really fit the moment so well and it again like carries this relaxed vibe and 
it's a really cool vibe to have in Reba. I mean, you know, there's there's more high paced ones. There's, you know, but the slower ones just carry like a special vibe to it. And this one really captures that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I love all those. You know, I love the frenzy versions and all the different yeah, ones. But absolutely. The, this one for me, you know, listening to all these shows back to back as we've done the last couple of weeks. I thought it was the perfect version at the perfect time. It was just like, you know, it totally encompasses the Japan vibe we've talked about. And it just was like, man, this is like the, exactly if I was to write Reba, if I could, how I think it should sound at this show, it was it was this version. Yeah, it's cool because, you know, we were at this point, like, you know, there's essentially like a set left of the run and like. There's no guarantee of even hearing the song. It wasn't really like on the radar necessarily, you know. And so when you hear those opening notes, it's just it's just such a surge of adrenaline. You know, it's really it was it was awesome. And it's something we talked about in the last episode, especially all those Japan fans getting to finally hear Reba. I mean, that's it's a pretty special thing. Absolutely. So we're going to play a clip from this version of Reba that Dave and I both love dearly so this is part of the reba jam and this is toward the end of the first set
Okay, so there's Reba. Awesome, awesome stuff. And we just get a pretty, you know, standard character zero to close out the first set. Yeah, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty standard first set all told with like those two highlights. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything off the charts, but those two highlights are significant. And, you know, to get two extended jams in the first set, albeit like, you know, contained type one jams are still, still super nice. Yeah. And, it's nice that they're a little bit different than the songs from, you know, there hadn't been a really good limb by limb or Reba. So it's good that different type of jams for the, you know, to round out the run. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would agree with you. Like probably a little weaker than most of the first sets in this run, but it's pretty strong competition. It's not like this was really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. So, but then we take a turn into the second set and we start off with, an amazing 45 minutes to start off the second set. And this is, as we talked about the show, Dave and I on here on the side, the last couple of days, he couldn't wait to talk about the runaway gym. And so this is going to be Dave's baby. I'm going (laughs) to let him uh, take it and kind of give us a run through this incredible version of runaway gym. All right. Yeah. This has long been a favorite piece of music that fish has played for me. And I definitely have some thoughts on it. Um, So the band had been experimenting with the concepts of electronic dance music within the fish paradigm, you know, for much of late 99 or much of 99, specifically late 99 and into the beginning of 2000, you know, ideas like repetition and layering and loops and hypnotic grooves, um, less focus on building jams around melodic motifs and much more focus on uh, building jams rhythmically uh, along the horizontal plane rather than vertically, you know, like really rhythmic focus. And this runaway gym, they really kind of take these ideas all the way. And, you know, I've often called it Fishtronica. And it is really just some boundary pushing music. And one of the key facets of this jam is when Trey gets off guitar and gets on his mini keyboard, which is something he did throughout late 99 and really facilitated some of the sickest jams of that uh, era. Um, you know, jams like the Cincy Split from 12499, the MCI Free from Washington, D.C. on 1215, the Raleigh Sand on 1216, which is really one of my favorite versions of that song ever. Um, and the Tokyo Tweezer on the first night of this tour um, are all examples of really just forward-thinking jams that happen around Trey being on his mini keyboard. And so, you know, the first part of this runaway gym is, you know, closer to the vest and stays within a runaway gym, you know, texture and vibe. But he sets a loop on his guitar and takes it off and he starts to get on his keyboard. And so when this happens, the band is no longer building a rock and roll jam around a lead guitar at this point, which is really what facilitates these cool these cool experiments. They begin more exploring sound and patterns and layering. And, and as I mentioned, like kind of building horizontally rather than vertically, you know, in a musical sense. And he often, which is also the case in this 
in this jam, he lends very simple, repetitive patterns on the keyboard. And it allows the other band members to get really creative around him and kind of come to the forefront more so than when he's on guitar. And this is exactly what happens in this jam. Once he, well, so he sets this loop and begins to explore his keyboard. And then eventually this loop comes off and there's a much sparser soundscape. And this is where really the, the crux of this jam begins to develop. Uh, you know, Fishman is providing like this 4-4 backbeat with his kick drum, which gives the jam like a very electronic vibe to begin with. And uh, Mike steps forward with this very unique bass sound and begins, you know, playing variations upon a, a very unique yet repetitive theme. And Paige is providing these like atmospheric melodic patterns behind the whole jam, which kind of is this glue that kind of holds everything together. And meanwhile, Trey's continuing to just play these repetitive, you know, patterns kind of quasi melodies on the keys and it all comes together in this really incredible way in this really groundbreaking jam it's it's really like full-on fishtronica and it has always been from the moment it happened something that like blew me and all of my friends away and we've talked about this jam to this day basically when we think about the uh japan run it's just really some next level fish and and really kind of illustrates the the insane creativity of of the run itself that was really good dave i I gotta give you credit on that that was a great history on on the whole vibe of this jam and talk on the last day in the second set opener i would say this is going for as big as it gets This is really the band throwing them out there, taking a real chance. And that's what we love. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it's the last night they've played an incredible run. They could have easily come out and played a much more, you know, conservative show, rock and roll show. Everyone would have loved it. And, you know, they would go on and party and go home. But that's not the it's not where they were at at this time. You know, like you say, they really went out and threw down as hard as they could and and full risk taking and 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 really just pushing the envelope in a way that um is you know defines the fish that we love yeah and i mean it simply results in a jam that there's not many like this no and we've said that a couple times on this yeah. on this podcast around around these jams but there's nothing you could go through 30 plus years of fish. You're not going to find a jam that sounds remotely like this. Yeah. And that's really just the beauty of it. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's really just says something. Yeah. It, I agree with you. I love this and we're certainly going to play a clip from it. We're going to play when, when Trey gets onto the mini keyboard, it, it, it all clicks. It, it takes a minute, not too long, but it gets really danceable. I like the fish tronica. I'm in with that that word there. It, it works for sure. So this is a clip from the just masterful Runaway Jim. Ooh. 
If that doesn't get you pumped up for how awesome this show, I don't know what else to say. You should check your pulse. I mean, that's some pretty <laughs> awesome stuff. So, yeah, it's he, awesome. I agree. So that crazy gym, and from there we do a full segue into theme. Yeah, and and I'll let you take this one too because this is, you know, this is really a work of art. This this runaway gym, this theme, and then into Dogface. So if you want to talk a little about the theme and even the transition to Dogface, that. That's all sure. you, my brother. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Runaway Jim theme, Dog Face, is definitely like the uh, the like immortal sequence from this show for sure. And yeah, so they they end they end that part of the the Runaway that we were talking about, and then move into like this full on abstract freak out for like two or three minutes to end the jam uh, to like you know use as a movement between you know that part and into theme, and it becomes a very very smooth segue into theme and uh it's it's a really great choice to come out of come out of that it, it it really flows really nicely they hit the jam and it's a really unique jam it's it's not full on type 2 and it's not full on you know contained you know i mentioned like call this like a 
type 1.5, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Paige and Fish are keeping things anchored. Paige is playing his standard piano solo during during uh, the jam, and and Fish is keeping the groove in the ballpark of theme. But as soon as they hit it, Trey just starts going off in another direction in this like loud, like feedback laden distortion, like wall of sound vibe. Um, very, very of the era in terms of 99 and 2000 and, you know, the sounds he's, he's building around during these, this era. And it, it really provides this like drone, like shoegazy, like distorted vibe um, to the jam. And yet, meanwhile, you know, half the band is kind of keeping things plugging along and it provides this like push and pull in the jam that really creates a very unique take on, on, on theme. Yeah, I did not remember this theme, um, and I really loved it. You, when we talked, you know, you talked about the gym, but you asked like the gym theme, man. It's like, and and I listened to it, and it's it's just another dreamy sequence, man. It's just, it's like lifting off the planet, and it, you know, it's just incredible music it, that that it, you know was the result of them taking these chances. And like you said, I the the segue is really great, like the way that gym ends. I love when they really take a jam so far out in every direction that when it ends, I mean, there's literally no way they could take Jim any further. Right. Like when it ended, it was done. And from that like last drop of water from the gym, mm. the perfect little piano from intro from theme, like it just gives me chills. Like when they segue like that. Yeah. 100%. And you know, they do it again at the end of the theme. They don't end the jam. They don't end theme. Uh, you know, in a conventional way. But, you know, after this whole section that we were talking about where Trey's just kind of like building this, uh, you know, dis distorted type of soundscape, they move into a much more delicate and creative ending that comes down from that point and very patiently like deconstruct the entire thing and eventually form another super smooth and uh delicate segue into dog face boy which is just you know this is the last thing you're expecting to hear at that point and to continue on the dreamy vibe which i think it, you really hit on on the feeling of this whole uh sequence and show with that that word because i never really have associated that word but it really is what this kind of feeling that I'm getting when I'm thinking back on it. Um, and it's just another beautiful segue and it really creates like this, this uh, seamless segment of music from the beginning of the set all the way through Dogface. Yeah. And you and I have talked in side conversations before how we just love when Fish will play a song we're not expecting, but when the moment it starts and how they, they move into it, it makes perfect sense. And like you said, Dogface Boy is I mean, about the last song that I could ever see coming here, but it just works so perfectly. Yeah, it gives that stuff gives me chills and I love it. So we'll play a little clip here from theme.
Okay, so there's a nice clip from Theme. And then we, of course, went into Dogface Boy to end that little sequence. But another kind of cool left field turn here is Driver, which is a favorite of mine. I'm sure you're a Driver fan. I don't know too many people that aren't. Yes, he keeps he keeps the acoustic on and just moves right into it. And it provides this like little interlude, like acoustic interlude of the second set, which uh, which worked really nicely. I, I do love the song. It's, it's, it's very lyrically interesting and always um, a surprise to hear. Yeah. And then from there, not ending the set, but an important part for me always is one of my favorite songs, hands down slave to the traffic light, getting the second part of the Holy Trinity here. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I love this version of slave and it's just, you know, they're really on top of their game and you can hear it with both or with all three with the Reba, the slave, and we're going to get to the hood and it's just, they can do whatever they want. They're so comfortable and laid back. And this is another just gorgeous version of, a, a, a you know, another gorgeous version. This slave does it for me in this spot. Another part of reflection, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like rethinking in the middle of the slave jam about how sick that gym theme was, but still feeling all the great vibes of slave. Yeah, it comes out of the acoustic part of the show there really nicely, and it and it really kind of caps the the creative sequence of the second set. You know, you know, certainly the the gym theme dog face is its own thing, but you know, you continue driver slave, and that really kind of puts uh, you know a cap to this uh, creative statement, and then they kind of finish off with a couple songs that frankly feel like tacked on. But at the same time, you know, you're not going to tell them to stop playing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it the, the slave really punctuates the musical statement that they started with Runaway Jim. Yeah, I agree completely with that. And then if you do check out this version on your own, you're going to love the beginning because there's been some great crowd moments in all these audience recordings. But man, when slave starts, this crowd goes bonkers. Yeah, and... I don't know what that's all about. Well, that's me, dude. When Slave starts, I am that person. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's not even like the moment they move into the jam. It's like 30 seconds or so into it as they, soon as they start to build, like the whole crowd just starts cheering. It's really it's really interesting. It almost feels like something happened in the room that they're cheering yeah. about. But I don't remember anything specific. It's really, you know, I I. I I was as surprised to hear it as you were when I heard it. And so it's, it's, it's it is pretty funny. It, it is unique, but I promise you, Dave, I am that person. I <laughs> if, slave man. I just get chills. Like it's been a while since we've seen some fish and I am Jones to hear some slave. It has been a while. That is for damn sure, dude. Yeah. And it seems like it's going to be a while longer. So, yeah. So I, that moment for me, and if I was, if, you know, again, putting myself, in the shoes of the Japanese fans. And it was the one and only time I got to see slave. Right. I mean, I would probably Let burst me. out of my own skin. <laughs> and I feel it. like I may do that the next time I see fish play slave, whenever it is, we get back to see them. So <laughs> it's funny. So if this is like a side little thing for me, whenever, and I hope it's certainly not for a long time, but when fish does decide to hang it up, that's my hope is that slave is the last song. Yeah. Just my, I've always thought that that would be the perfect song. So Fair enough. 
So that's that's how strongly I feel about slave. So like you said, um, it 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 does punctuate. Um, you know that is it is a great flowing, different you know paced with with dog face boy driver and slave. You know Jim and theme are rocking, but yeah, those three songs really fit nicely together for like a slower, cooler vibe in that second yeah. set. Yeah, absolutely. The whole whole set through Slave flows just impeccably. Agreed. But then, you know, like we said, they do finish off with Julius and Bug, which is maybe they had a little extra time. And, it, you know, they're great songs. And seeing Julius is, you know, if that was the only time I ever got to see it, I'd be rocking my ass off. I mean, it's a fun dancing song. I mean, I've yeah, seen it, it so it, many times, but it's still fun. I mean, it's, it it's not my it. favorite song, to be completely honest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the bug, if they had just dropped bug after slave, it would have kind of fit on some level. Yeah. But the Julius just really feels out of place in this dreamy, like, yeah. psychedelic set. It's just all of a sudden this, like, upbeat blues rocker that's like, okay, <laughs> we're listening to Julius now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Fish will do that from time to time. Sure. But, yeah, that one kind of was like a record scratch moment in yeah. the show. And then they play bug, which think we've mentioned was another song they were really focusing on at the time coming out of the farmhouse album but yeah i mean really the crux of the of the set ends with slave and i think they probably like you said did have a little extra time and played a couple extra songs but you know all's well and good here uh because you know the the hour that preceded it is just off the charts yeah, I agree with that. I mean, overall, I love the arc of this set, and it's very different than a lot of sets that I will, you know, often come back to and think it, it's it's very unique. And I love that about a good set that's constructed well. Um, and then, so we finish off from there. We go with an encore, which is two songs bouncing around the room. And I mean, if you're going to end a tour, you might as well finish it up with the third version of the Holy Trinity, the Fish Staple, and Sirius contemplating reflection song and i i mean i i know it's one of your favorite songs we close out with harry hood yeah and you don't get more classic much more classic than a bouncing hood encore to be honest it certainly was the perfect song to end with and they really stretch it out and it's a really emotional version i think it like top 17 minutes it just you can feel good and it was just <laughs> one of those moments you know like we have all band included just gone through this like once in a lifetime slash life-changing you know experience being in japan for two weeks and taking what we love over there to this new culture and seeing how incredibly it was received by the people and the fans in japan and it really you know this this kind of sums it up this kind of sums it up it, is Harry Hood, you know, it, it really was in some regards, the only choice of what to play here. Yeah. I always, uh, if they do a Harry Hood encore slave or very rarely Reba, when it finishes, it's like, I just love that feeling. Like you just feel like it's all been left out there. It's like smoke a cigarette, even though I don't smoke cigarettes, you know, it's great. I love it. I love hood there. So so another killer show, man. I mean, they they really rounded out. Certainly the limb by limb, the Reba, and then we've certainly talked about the first forty-five to an hour of the second set. I mean, it makes for another outstanding show. Yeah, it was a great one, man. Like it's never a dull moment over there with the fish. 
Yeah, this, and then and I agree with what you said. It's a really uniquely built second set. You know, there's nothing remotely standard about it from the set list to the music contained within. It's just super original and boundary pushing. And uh, it, it was a fantastic way to, to end the run. So that that's it. So we're going to talk about a little bit of your thoughts kind of as, you know, the Japan run has ended how you felt when you you went home and you know how you feel a, a little bit about 20 years later yeah i mean it was awesome when we got home we i i was living in san francisco at the time uh me and my buddy uh spencer we had an apartment together there uh in the north panhandle and you know as i said like i kind of created all these travel arrangements for all my friends and so everyone flew back to san francisco from tokyo and everyone came over and like stayed at our place for a couple nights and we like listened to all the dads and kind of relived it it was a really awesome like post tour uh couple days and there was just a very quick turnaround before we all or most of us turned around and went to uh i believe it was nashville to start the u.s tour which was like about a week later um, so there was very little time in between, but there was just enough time to, you know, get back, recover, relive, do laundry, rest up and head out again. So, um, you know, to think that this all happened before the U.S. tour even started is a whole nother thing. You know, that's just uh, just over the moon at that point. So do you feel differently now having a little time on your hands or is it just pretty much reliving those same vibes? Do you think maybe it's aged even better in your opinion or um man i mean we were pretty high on it at the time you know i i think we understood what was happening and and how incredible it was um that said i hadn't listened to these shows in quite a while before we did this series of podcasts and uh you know, it kind of blew me away all over again, despite the fact that I had heard the jams like umpteen million times each. But uh, I certainly have as much of an appreciation, if not more, looking back on it at this point for just how creative the band was over there. Yeah, I think that's a great word for how I feel about it. Um, you know, just I just how many times have you and I said in the last couple episodes, you know, how creative or unique of certain version of that song was, or even like a, an entire set. Yeah. And you know, as, as I age and as I've listened to more and more fish year by year, yeah. that's something that I really appreciate and something that I seek out. There's, you know, so many amazing shows out there. They're the best band in the world, but I love the different stuff that where they really tried to push the envelope and really create something completely unique that, you know, all of a sudden my ear is like, man, well, this is this is nuts. Yeah. And and it, it was happening constant when we listened to these shows. Yeah. I mean, it was night after night after night. I mean, it's just a it's just a monstrously creative run with just like gargantuan. Boundary pushing jams like all over the place, you know, like there's probably I think like five 20 plus minute jams in like an eight show five plus eight minute 20 minute jams in like an eight show run or seven show run, whatever it was. And so, you know, it, it was really just a peak fish across the board, you know, like, you know, I'm sure on some level they knew that they were going to be playing to a completely new fan base. I mean, I guess they had been there the year before, but they played a festival. So that wasn't really their show per se, you know. Right. Um, and so, you know, I don't, 
no idea what the band's mindset was, you know, going into it. But you had to think on some level they really wanted to show Japanese fans what they were all about. And that's that's certainly what they did. It's just, uh, you know, for someone like me, I started seeing Fish in 97. So I never really saw them in a room like this. So these shows, you know, musically blow my mind. But the kid in me also just you know, blown away that they're playing in front of these incredibly small crowds in these rooms that I see, you know, local bands here in Buffalo about the size of those rooms to see fish at, in the year 2000. It's just, it gives me chills thinking about, and I try to put myself in, in those rooms as best as my imagination will allow me to. And I can't imagine that that was, it just blows my mind. That was a real thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think back on it and it's really, you know, I mean, I, I went to Europe 98 as well and, and those shows are incredible and the Christiana shows are some of my favorite ever. But the Japan was, I mean, it was just like to be in such a different culture and to be seeing fish do what they do in, you know, this foreign land, really, you know, and in these rooms that were even smaller than most of the European rooms I saw them in was really, uh, it was peak fish experience in, you know, the 20 plus year, 25 plus years I've seen them, you know, and there's been a lot of peak experiences, but like, I'm not sure that any top this, you know, it was as unique as it comes. And, uh, as was the music. So I think that's pretty good, man. Unless you got anything, we'll, uh, I'm going to have Dave, we're, there's a lot in this sound check that kind of pertains to the Japan run. So he's going to stick around and help me with that. But anything else you want to reflect on or. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, I really kind of see the band's late nineties period as a continuum, you know, starting with Halloween 96, where they really, you know, the seed was planted for this musical shift in style that we saw take place you know, from that point forward, specifically, uh, you know, crystallizing in the Europe 97 and taking forth throughout the next several years. And, uh, you know, at, during this time, the band was evolving and building on each tour stylistically and musically, you know, they were not leaving their style behind, but they were adding things to this new style of groove in 98, they added an ambient style and in 99 it was more drone layering. And so things just kept building and evolving around this, uh, you know, this, this musical shift of the late nineties. And I really kind of see this Japan run as like the cherry on that evolution, uh, from 97 to 2000, you know, I've always kind of thought about the Japan run as, as the band's like last huge burst of creativity before their hiatus, you know, at the end of the year. They had some great shows throughout the summer and the fall. They had some incredible jams. But, you know, there were some, there was, and not to belittle it in any way, because there right. were some absolutely stellar stuff that happened during that, those couple tours. And, you know, I could think of the, some of the jams if I wanted to, but it just wasn't, the consistent pushing the envelope in the way that they did in Japan and the evolution of their sound, like I was talking about from 96 to this point in Japan, 
it didn't necessarily continue from that point on. Like I felt like on some level they were kind of playing downhill for the rest of the year until they kind of took their hiatus and the, uh, the stylistic evolution kind of halted in a way and they kind of rode out the, the last couple of tours and, you know, they were at such an amazing place that there was a ton of great music. And, you know, we could do another podcast about summer night, summer 2000 and fall 2000. And there's, you know, incredible music, several jams that are among my favorites. But I really kind of see this Japan run as like that last real spark of um, absolutely peak fish yeah, or the hiatus. I like that. I, I would agree with that. And, you know, in retrospect, especially over the years, we've heard, you know, band members, especially Trey talk about, you know, you come off Cyprus and, yeah. you, you know, what happened there was like life band changing forever. Yeah. So it was hard for them. And then, you know, it was a very smart move, in my opinion, to play these shows in Japan, which is so completely different, like you said. Yeah. But then to leave that spark you know, and to go back to playing in front of, you know, 17,000 people in a, a normal show, it, it had to be tough for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it definitely, uh, I mean, if you look at what had happened, you know, so they had this whole build up to Cyprus, you know, with their late 99 fall tour, winter tour, played Cyprus, which was one of the most unique experiences of their lives. And, and then they played Rose, Radio City and Roseland afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then they went to Japan. So there were all these really unique, different experiences for them. And the music reflects that, you know, uh, throughout that whole era, um, that whole run of time. And then, yeah, I agree with you. They're going back and playing their normal amphitheater tour. And I don't know. It becomes, on some level, a bit more normal for them and for the music and for everything. So I like that. I think that's a great way to to cap things off. And it's just it's it is a great, great cherry. I like that cherry on top to kind of like the 1.0 era, really. Yeah. You know, as, as far as, you know, creativity. So, yeah. All right. So Dave's going to he loved the sound check when I sent it to him. Um, and there's plenty of reasons why this is one of the great sound checks. I say that about a lot of them. I'm partial. I love them all, but this one is really great. And it's great for two reasons. It has great music, great grooves, and it's got all the humor that makes like a super fun sound check. So we start off and it the sound check will come in a little bit late. So we don't have the whole thing, but it's plenty. So there's about three minutes of what's called the Zep Osaka jam. And uh, if you want to hit that one, Dave, go ahead. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's... uh it's Trey talking about how Zep Osaka looks exactly like Zep Tokyo. And he creates a little lyrical uh, play on the whole idea. And it's, it's really funny to hear him talk about it, you know, especially, I, I don't think I've ever heard this before you, you send it over and I listened to it. Um, so it's funny to hear him reflecting on the experiences that we were all having at the same time. And he does that on like a sick ass groove. Yeah, it's like, really the quintessential fish sound check because they're playing amazing music. Like they're they're essentially just like improving and playing these awesome grooves and they're creating a comedy show around it all. 
Yeah, I love the Zeposaka groove. From there, it goes into what's just called a jam, and it's about a minute and 48 seconds. Then there's like, it's nothing crazy. And then from there, they go into a full-blown twist jam, which is kind of weird. It's um like only about a minute of twist. And I don't really know how it gets in there, but it's there. And from there is the other star of the sound check. And it's called the I Can't Wait to Go Home Jam. <laughs> and that is a reflection of being the last show. And I'll let you hit that one as well, Dave. Yeah, I, it's just like musically, it's fantastic. It's like, you know, over eight minutes of just like really awesome fish groove. Um, and it's funny because Trey's talking about how the room sounds so good and they don't need to eat. He's usually talking about how he need to turn something up and turn something down, but yeah. there's nothing to say, so he's just going to keep grooving, and um, it's really awesome. And it, it, it's just it's special for me to listen to him talk about, you know, going back home and and doing all the things that we were about to do as well. There's just something there's a something very cool about hearing them talk about the the same mundane things that we had to do as well. Um, but you know, beyond all the stuff and the comedy the music's just so so great i mean like if that music was in the middle of the show it would be all bugging out you know it was awesome it agreed um and there is a lot going on this is another like we had the windora bug stuff with trey just riffing so there's a lot to catch up so i'm not going to try to spoil it but i want you to be paying attention you got to hit these points so in this i don't want to go home jam you'll hear you hear Trey talk about fish getting spanked by two girls. It's very quiet, but he got spanked by two girls. Apparently, according to Trey, he got spanked while playing jazz in New Orleans another time. Uh, he talks about fish getting a new snare drum and about how they're going to be going on Conan in the next few days when they return home and they have to call up John Sickett. And he's been sitting there on his exercise machine waiting for them. So. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, hilarious stuff. Uh, it's the perfect nine minutes of awesome music and just laugh out loud stuff. So, yeah. And then the sound check finishes up with just like a traditional jam uh, for a couple of minutes. And then that jam goes into like a whole another one bites the dust, uh, which is like a five minute between that jam and another one bites the dust. Yeah, it's a great little chunk of uh, of behind the scenes music. It's, it, I had a great time listening to it couple times through so unfortunately dave that's the end of our run (laughs) it's it's goodbye on the podcast but uh we've done some writing together dave and i and i'm sure it won't be the last time that you and i collaborate on something yeah it's been super fun man i really appreciate the opportunity to come on multiple times and talk about these shows which are so near and dear to my heart um I've had a blast and uh, thank you. Just want to say thank you. So Dave doesn't certainly do uh, as much as he does in the social media department as he used to. So, and I, of course, I'm a Twitter whore. So if you need <laughs> to contact Dave or if you want to send out any kind of regards or thoughts on our, our forerun uh, show here, you can certainly hit me up and I'll pass those over to Dave. But Dave, it's been a real pleasure. You've really brought a lot of light to and highlighted these shows, which I think needed a little bit of highlighting. A lot of people may have not heard them. And again, there's not a lot of research or things that you can find on the shows because not a whole lot of people were there. So to have you there, you know, firsthand and 
retell some of these stories. It's been a real treat for me, and I know that people have reached out, and we just want to say thank you, and it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been my pleasure, man. No problem at all. So we're gonna we're gonna play right out here uh, with the sound check, and that'll end our episode and our four run. So again, the sound check we're about to play is the Zeppo Saka jam, a regular jam, then a twist jam, and then I can't wait to go home jam, followed by jam into another one bites the dust. Dave, thanks a lot. It's been great.
know that? No. Uh, I, uh, put Brian out there. This is my bass amp isn't working. I just wanted to play bass
This is Mike Ganser of Aqueous letting you know the Daily Soundcheck is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about the artists and topics you love. Visit OsirisPod.com to check out our shows. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Check them out at Jambase.com.